and welcome to Joe Talks Comics. This is the podcast where I talk with friends about the comics we've been reading and enjoying that need, plus occasional solo episodes and creator interviews. This week, I welcome Jason Douglas back to the podcast to talk about his new Kickstarter, Jane American. I had him on a few months ago to talk about Parallel Special Edition, the special edition of his new Source Point Breastbook Parallel from a, a few years ago. That was a really great, interesting original graphic novel that I recommend you pick up at some point. But yeah, it was a delight to have Jason back to talk about his Kickstarter. We had a great conversation about it, about the book, and about a few different things surrounding it. And it's just, just generally a great conversation. So make sure to go check out the Kickstarter, go support it, please, because he deserves your support. All indie comics like this deserve your support, but just especially when they've got such human and like real like stories behind them that there's something special about these sort of indie comics, especially through places like Kickstarter. So when this is going live, it should have gone up last week, so it'll be ready for you to go and support. And as I mentioned at the end, even if that's just like the lowest tier, that's all you can afford, then that that even that would be like incredible. Obviously, if you can't, then as always with these conversations, just like whatever you can, if you want to support at all, then that's amazing in itself. But yeah, that's all I have to say for this intro. So I hope you enjoy and I'll see you on the other side. Jason, welcome back to the podcast. It's exciting to have you back here because I know it's been a few months since we last talked. So I'm excited to talk about your new project, Jane American. I'm so excited to be back. Uh, this is this is great. I I love I love our chats. I love the fact that uh, that we're talking from across the pond. It feels even in the 21st century just a, like a little bit of magic. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I think. I know. I, I was going to say that this might be the earliest I've recorded a podcast. Yeah. Like 2, 2 p.m. my time and 9 a.m. for you. But well, yeah, there me was too, another. Pro- me too, probably. <laughs> but there was another one I did with with um, Anis Abdelhak and Dennis Menhir about their Source Point Press one shot Etheris, which yeah. uh, that was about. Uh, that was a bit earlier because of because they were closer in time zone to me. So, but I think apart from that, this is the. It's, uh, I stood to do it mid-afternoon or mid-morning or early morning for you. Right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, it's not like, I, okay, look, it's not too early for me. I'm usually up hours and hours before this. I got to go teach the, I got to go teach the teenagers, you know, every single day. But uh, this is probably the record for earliest recording for a show, though. Yeah. Yeah, and th- this is an immediate tangent, which I'm all too good at. But it's always funny when you mention students and I'm a like university or college whatever you want to call it student and so like 9am say is might be like early getting up for for some students but for me that's a lie and I'm most of the time get up at like 7 8am so yeah right 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 <laughs> but yeah any, anyway so as I mentioned we had to talk about your new kickstarter Jane yeah. it, it should be live by the time this this episode goes out yeah, we went we went live, so we're doing that whole uh, we're talking in the past for the future and the future in the past. So it went live on May second, and it's uh, it's actually, you know, my very first Kickstarter. Um, uh, like as we talked about last time, anybody who listened in, and for those of you who don't know, like uh, you know, my journey into the world of of published comics was a fairly atypical story, right? My first book, Parallel, 
which did what it did and sold out and got the two Ringo nominations when that thing was not made the way comics are usually made in the 21st century. That went straight to a publisher before it was even fully written and had this bizarre and wonderful experience getting that out into the world. And, and uh, even even how it like sold out was very atypical, right? It kind of flopped upon release and then built up momentum over about 18 months, which is kind of not how things are done. And so here I am, it's my second book. You would think, oh, you've got experience, you know what you're doing. And yet this is the first time I'm making a comic in the 21st century manner of, of Kickstarter, of, of crowdfunding it, which is how most indie books are made. So it's it's a daunting and scary experience. Um, you know, new things are always a little freaky, and, and this is my first time. Yeah, nice. So I guess the obvious place to start would be, what is the brief like synopsis for Jane American? Well, um, the way I like to the way I like to explain it is uh, this is uh, for those of you who are familiar with my first book. It, 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 structurally, it's 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 my writing style, the same thing. In that, because I'm an old school comic book nerd, I like my stories to be wrapped in one of our famous comic book tropes. In this case, a story uh, about a protagonist who might be able to do a couple of things that other people can't. Um, and yet it's really about deeper themes than that. Okay. So Jane Americans is 30, it's a 32 page one shot, full color comic book, introducing us to Jane's world and exploring the themes of the deeper themes of identity, gender, self-worth and small town societal norms and, uh, during and post-World War II America with hints of like beloved stories like Superman for all seasons and Archie 1941. Um, I can promise you this. Jane American is going to break your heart, make you cheer, and shock you with a cliffhanger ending that will have you begging for more. Because Jane's life um, in 1946 as a 15-year-old, her life was filled with more than enough responsibility for a young girl coming of age in in wartime, small-town America. But family tragedy and trauma has really changed her in unbelievable ways that are better left hidden, better left uh, not for public consumption. But... Um, economic hardships presented by the end of the war have left her with a pretty big choice in her life. She can stay safe, she can stay hidden, or she can embrace who she really is for the sake of everyone that she loves. So this is a deeply personal story to me. It's, um, it's inspired by and named after my late grandmother who fought against, not entirely successful, kind of being put in that box of societal expectations in post-World War II America. Um, I've got family names throughout this book, and it's set in historical Plymouth, Michigan, which is where I grew up. And uh, one of the major settings is in the historically accurate wall wire factory that that lived in downtown Plymouth at the time. Um it, it got one. It got a war contract, like uh, a lot of uh, uh, factories did in the United States during the war years. And my great grandfather actually worked in that factory, and they started manufacturing Marsden maps. Which, even if you don't know what that means, uh, you you probably, if you're a history nerd at all, you know what they are. They're the temp. They're the big long metal sheet set uh, we used for temporary runways. Uh, you know, for bombers to launch off of, uh, you know, island hopping in the Pacific. And um, not only is it inspired by my grandparents and named after my late grandmother, but it's also dedicated to uh, all the students in my classroom over the last 23 years, all the girls, all the non-binary kids, all the kids of color who have passed through my room that are still struggling with those same questions of identity and societal roles and self-worth and self-fulfillment, even in the 21st century. And uh, the same ones that my grandmother did almost 80 years ago. Um, and, and like for me, it's really important to get this story into the world, not only because of like um, 
you know, its connection to family, uh, not only because this was like a very, very important thing for my grandfather, who just passed away a couple of weeks ago, but made it to 99 years old in a month and uh, really had this this dream uh, where, I mean, he kept the script uh, for the book next to his bedside. Uh, every time a piece of art by by Annie Wright, my artist, came in, he would call me and be, you know, very excited. Um, it, it was kind of something really, really buoying to him as well as he was struggling at the end to see his high school sweetheart's name in print, you know, and huh. and, and and see her story being told, even in a fictionalized way. Um, and so uh, it's just it's just massively important to me to see this in the world. And and maybe more than even that personal connection is is for all these kids who who have come through my classroom in the 21st century are still struggling against things that were even exponentially more um, um, point, not poignant, but pointed, you know, in, in the 1940s. And yet there's that kind of irony of like, really, really, there's, there's still parents, there's still teachers, there's still peers, there's still societal structures that say, I can't be who I am. And it's the 21st century. And that kind of breaks my heart. So um, having this story out in the world that kind of, uh, uh, if not a voice for all those people, at least something that those, any, anybody can relate to uh, means a lot to me. Yeah, I love all of that. It's I think so special that there's not much that compared that can compare to having that comic book with such a like, personal connection. And I think it speaks to something that's come up in other interviews and episodes about the ideas of how you, you can obviously have like very personal stories still being told in other mediums, like say like TV and film and those sorts of very like grand, like uh, sort of grand production lines where they aren't the people involved. Whereas with comics, when it's literally just like a few people like writing, drawing, coloring, lettering, editing, um, and then doing like all like, the covers and that sort of thing. And then especially when you can like put it out like through Kickstarter and hopefully like get it funded and not even rely on sort of like traditional publishers in, in that sense. I think it's just always really cool when people can hopefully like, support those those sorts of books with that like heart and again the personal connection to them by the creators. Yeah, there's like it, it's it's double edged sword is not the right term, but it, it, it you get the gist of it. Like when you when, when it's yeah. when indie comics are made this way, there's like the advantages and I think we even talked about this last time, you know, advantage, disadvantage. Um, you don't have 80 plus years of infrastructure and editorial mandate behind you. And that's got its pros and that's got its cons, right? Like, yeah. um, if comics are the most or one of the most, if not the most malleable medium to tell any story you want, right? It does It does some of the things that film does. It does some of the things that prose does. It bu- does a bunch of stuff that neither do. Indie comics have more freedom than 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 anything else right because of that lack of editorial mandate and because of that lack of 80 years of infrastructure and precedent um but the other side of that sword is of course (laughs) you don't have that 80 plus years of infrastructure and thus the distribution and thus the reach um and then you can look at the positive side of that too because you know kickstarter look i i don't want to speak on this as an expert i mean obviously this is my first time in and and if anybody knows my story from the publication of Parallel knows that uh, my frame of reference for how comics were made in the 21st century was limited at best as, you know, I pitched that book in person to a publisher like it was 1970 or something. Um, but 
you know, Kickstarter starts off as what it is, right? It's a crowdfunding platform. But like, as time goes on, and the further we get into this century, it's it's almost 50-50 on not only crowdfunding, but it's becoming the go-to distribution uh, kind of method for a lot of things, not just comics. But, um, you know, I mean, it, it doesn't, you don't have to be looking at the comics industry too closely to see the distribution method kind of breaking down, if not outright failing in, in spots. And, and maybe we're on our way to that anyway, but COVID certainly sped, sped that up. And here you've got Kickstarter, which, you know, not only has the ability to fund anything, depending on, you know, what it is you're trying to put out there in the world, but it's this wonderful direct method to get content, uh, your project, directly to the people who want it. Um, I mean, I guess, I mean, the thing that scares me uh, is... The, the all or nothing still freaks me out, right? The, the idea of one penny under your goal and nothing happens or or the limitations of my reach as a, a very, 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 very minor public figure, right? I'm fighting against the algorithm of Instagram where, you know, a, a, a post um, that I want people who follow me to see uh, two years ago, when I had half as many followers as I do now, reached more than twice as many people as it does now. And so like you're fighting against that at the same time as trying to take advantage of this this system where I can get something into your hands immediately. It's kind of um, it's kind of a it's a hot, wonderful mess of potential and frustration, which um, not a bad analogy for life in general. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a lot that goes into these things and and like and you have to consider and i'm sure i've i'm sure we talked about this last time but also it's again come up in its previous interviews but just the idea of being such like like, like an indie like creator and having that freedom and then still having to like answer to like the higher algorithms whether that's through instagram or kickstarter or sure sure yeah that's that's a good way to put it yeah Complete and utter freedom to maybe just yell into the void. Yeah, uh, exactly. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh. <laughs> yeah, congratulations on your wonderful freedom that nobody's going to hear necessarily. Yeah, there's a bit of a, yeah, yeah. That's it's it's the same. It's it's what I said. You know, it's like a, it, it's a wonderful, horrible thing all at once. Yeah, I suppose that's a disturbing way of looking at the internet in general in many ways. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you've talked a bit about how the obviously like that, that, the publishing route for Gen American is so different from Parallel, which as we've talked about extensively was unique in itself. But in terms and also about briefly about your like writing experience, but because I, I know we, we mentioned before that the, the writing experience for Parallel was was quite unique in itself. So yeah, how did you sort of approach um coming to Jane American in a bit more detail were there, were there things that you like picked up that worked well last time that you wanted to do again and things that you learned from and and like how you sort of like paced it especially I suppose within a one shot and uh, like with the cliffhanger at the end and it, I know that was quite a, a few questions but yeah yeah well it, it, it's been uh, it was actually a, a very different experience um you know parallel was just written in two chunks it was the first yeah. half of it I wrote uh, in a bubble without. With, it was it was the the experiment of could I do this? 
and it was just one fell swoop. The first half was written. It got picked up by source point, And then I got sent off to, to write the second half, you know, and, and, and at that point I'm connected to a company. I'm connected to a writer or to an artist. I'm connected to an editor. And so it was just kind of like these two, these two pieces, these two chunks, but the story was always the story where with, with Jane. And I don't know if I've ever even talked about this before, or I have talked about this yet, but like, it is a massively different experience on like a, like a dozen different points. I mean, number one, I had learned things, right. I'm, I'm writing this post all parallel writing, except for the writing that I did for the special edition. Um, and it, and so like, I know things like I, I, I understand a little bit better. Some of the lessons I learned on the first book about, um, not that I wasn't aware of this before, but a little more showing instead of telling, right. Let, let certain things breathe a little bit more. Like my pacing was a little bit better. And some of that just coming from seeing how script translates to page for the first time some of that stuff that bob sally my editor on parallel taught me so so you've got that going right and then one of the major differences was um the story you're going to read is not the original story um like like jane like so many projects and sometimes you hear about it and sometimes you don't it started off as something drastically different it was contemporary. It was much more sprawling and out of control. And it was much more, uh, uh, I grew up in the nineties as a comic nerd. Like you could just see those fingerprints all over it. It was not a period. Interesting. And, and, um, and, and smarter heads kind of said, oh, this is, this is not going to work for reason A, B, and C. And it was like, my first experience with like, oh no, um, rejection, failure before even launch, you know? And, and I think I knew it. Cause like, I, I remember I, I, the idea and the way I usually work is there is a very rough outline. Like ideas exist, uh, story beats exist, um, before I actually start scripting, you know, down to the, down to the, to, to the studs down to the details and I, I sat down I was like I was very insistent and I was going to start writing this and I was like on page one <laughs> and I hit like panel three and I got hung up on this one detail and I'm like this, how do you even make this work and it was like even even I even before people on the outside were like yeah but I don't know that you can do this um I knew I knew and it was like one of those moments you you have despair on one hand because it's like you're so ingrained and in this is what it's going to be. And then and this happens to me sometimes this happens in teaching. This happens in in all kinds of times of life where uh, as much planning as I do, because that's my nature. Right. I am. I, I love to plan ahead. Uh, I spend way too much of my present planning for the future. You know, that's probably a, a character fault on my part. But what I have always found but if you're a planner, this is very hard to rely on, right? Mentally is in the moment of crisis, something usually comes up. And sometimes it's like, you know, to say a stroke of brilliance is probably over speaking a little bit, but um, it was like, oh, no, 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 no. This theme stays, but it's a period piece. Uh, this sprawling thing needs to go away. We need to focus much more on an individual character or an individual story, which is what worked about parallel. I don't know why I didn't just automatically internalize that. Uh, I thought I could be a world builder, apparently, on my second project. And um, 
and you just go and, and it just changed. And so like that process is, was, it was so different, um, though not uncommon, right? I mean, I think that, ha- I think that's the way a lot of stories begin as something else. And then it turns into what it turns into. And then I kind of fell back into my normal thing. And like the entire story of Jane is completely plotted and all the story beats are there. And it's a matter of going into those, those, I would call them chapters at this point and, and fleshing them out. And this is like, this is more or less chapter one. And uh, the, the dream is um, for, and again, because the whole Kickstarter thing is, is so new to me and so unknown, it's, it's hard for me to like definitively say, hey, here's what I want to happen. Because I don't know. I don't know what, you know, we're, we've got this month of, of, of Kickstarter and, and things could go fine. Things could be a disaster. Things could go miraculously well. But, um, you know, as much of a pessimist as I am in my my daily life, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna hang on to the hope, and I'm gonna be a ha- glass half full kind of guy. And the dream for this book is that the Kickstarter goes so well, and we hit stretch goals, um, and we can cut into the funding of basically the second part of this, which is the big fat 120 page. OGN original graphic novel. And the dream for that is to have that in libraries, to to shop that to publishers who would want it to go far and wide. Because like I said at the top, you know, these themes are really important to me. These themes are really important, to, I think, relatable to a lot of people who struggle with identity issues. So um, that's the big dream uh, to, to make it go. Because, uh, you know, whether this goes well or not, let's keep our fingers crossed that it does, you know, funding something bigger costs more money. Yeah, I think it's interesting seeing how, seeing what I've, like, you can see of the book so far online with the, like, some of the primary images and the trailer that you sent me, which was cool. Yeah. And how it has a very, the word that comes to mind is quaint, sort of feel to it where you have that, like like, like retro forties like film, even from like the the font of the logo, uh-huh. it sort of it, it sort of feels like the like classic. Oh god! Um, oh, I gotta like I gotta more. shout out Dave Lentz. Dave Lentz is my letterer and my designer, and I told him what I wanted, and he hit it out of the park. I mean that logo. Yeah. I kind of told him I was like, he, he made the logo for Jane American. I was like, it's it's I need I need some femininity in it. I need strength in it. I want it to look like it could have been painted on the side of a B-17 bomber and yet still have that grace uh, that suggests, uh, you know, like it's got to have a Rosie the Riveter vibe, right? Like the strongest women of the 1940s. And uh, he nailed it and hit it out of the park. And I I could not be more pleased with that logo for sure. Yeah. And I suppose this might seem like an out on the comparison, but it almost makes me think of uh, when I like I look at the even just like on the Kickstarter page the I don't, I don't like the thumbnail with, with the two pages side by side and the logo and the coming soon that Kickstarter puts on it also makes me think of like the music from the beginning of Up how it sort of feels oh okay okay again sort of like before. where yeah, it's got I mean... a very it's got like a warm like glow to it, but it feels like classic and like a like reminiscent of like a lost era, but like focusing on this one person. And it just it just that's just what came to mind in the moment. Yeah, well, I mean, that's that's also deliberate. So um, yeah, it, there's there's 
I don't want to say this is deceptive because it's not, but like the, the five pages. So, you know, the, the, if the campaign is live by the time people hear this, like when you go, when you go to the, when you go to www.kickstarter.com um, and you search up Jane American and it pops up and you look at the, the, the page, the full page of everything that's being offered, you've got five pages of, of, you know, teaser art in there and, and all of our covers as well. And um, those five pages are also, uh, a flashback to 1942 in the mm. middle of our story, most of which takes place in 1946, just post-war. So there were some, like if you read the script, there are some deliberate coloring and lighting things going on in those pages, any of our flashback pages, to kind of denote that warmth. Um, not only because of thematically what's going on in all of our flashback pages, which is a lot of development of, 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 of family relationships and especially Jane's relationship with her dad, who goes off to, to uh, your fair country to, uh, to, to fly, uh, to, to fly bombing missions. And um, so, yeah, that like you're seeing some of that warmth, not to say that the 1946 pages are going to be harsh and, 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 and look drastically different. It's still 1946 as compared to 2023, but yeah, there were some deliberate, like, uh, softening the light and um, sucking a little bit of color. I mean, we're not going sepia tone extreme here, but like a little bit of color desaturation as well. So that's kind of what you're seeing on those five pages. Yeah, makes sense. So, because uh, then when you're talking about the early like 90s influences at the start, I, I just imagine that the same sort of pages that I've seen, but in like the world of spawn or whatever that's sort of like a 90s edginess was just uh, like a very interesting like dichotomy there yeah oh for sure yeah like the 1946 pages they they, they will be sharper and brighter because i want a sense of regardless of how far in the past the story takes place i do it is the present day of our story it is when jane in the present is making her decisions about keeping who she is and what she can do hidden or um, making those big choices because of the circumstances of life would, um, would, you know, really be helpful for the people around her. Um, so I want that to have a very uh, now feel like I want the reader mm. to be in it, but it's still 1946. So, I mean, those warm tones are still going to be there for sure. Yeah. So how did you think about, balancing the like the flashback scenes with the more like present day scenes was that something you had to think a lot about um well, yeah, or, oh, totally. you wanted or? <laughs> totally because um so so the, the story was originally conceived as like like four 22 page issues and right. there were there were less um like when we moved from the concept of that to the 32 page kind of intro followed by the 120 page, you know, big fat story. Um, the, the decision that was made was like, okay, so now I've got a little bit more room at the beginning to, and this is more about like learning how to write too, um, to, to establish some of these relationships and, and, and make the stakes a little bit higher and uh, make it a little more clear on, on why this trauma in her life triggers what triggers and allows her to do what she can do. And the best vehicle to get there was looking back at 1939, looking back at 1941, looking back at 1942 and what's going on in the family. And um, I, I don't know, I, I'll tell you what, uh, it, it, <laughs> I don't want, it really works. I'm like when I, when I was teasing up front about like, it's going to, even these 32 pages are going to break your heart. 
and make you cheer at the exact same time. Like I, I'm not, I'm not, I don't think I'm exaggerating at all. It's um, I don't know. I get choked up at a couple of the scenes and partly because of like what it means to my family and what it means to me personally. But like there, there's, there's a pretty big emotional punch in a couple of uh, a couple of spots and even in this, um, this first chunk. Yeah. That, that, that's interesting. You, you've talked about the like personal influences within your family. Were there any particular like creative influences, like other comics or just anything outside of comics that you felt particularly influenced the like the style and the aesthetic and the sort of ideas that you were trying to go for? Um. Yeah, I I think so. Um. I mean, the most over the most overarching influence, and I don't want to equate this one to one, but like I'd be lying to myself if there wasn't. Not necessarily in execution, not necessarily in beat by beat storytelling, but definitely thematically, there's a lot of X Men in this, right? Um, X Men has been long heralded as one of the most successful uh, metaphors in the history of at least Western comics, right? The idea that that the that the the teens that uh, the uh, ostracized teens that nobody loves uh, and everybody hates uh, can kind of be a metaphor and a stand in for um, a lot of things over the years, right? You know, in the sixties at their gestation, you could put in civil rights movement here in the States. Um, they've, you know, to some degrees of success over the years, been a stand in metaphor for, uh, LGBTQ community, uh, uh, members, you know, like X-Men has the ability to do that. I personally think the best way that x-men does that successfully is when it's the metaphor is still there the metaphor is still open but then you actually have direct representation in the books as well um and there's actually that's kind of one of my goals here it's not just the metaphor of jane and what she can do can be the stand-in for group x y and z um i'm not saying that that's not true it absolutely is and i think that opens up because like i'm a firm believer in once something leaves an author's hands, and this is something I talk about with with students, right? Once something leaves an author author's hands, uh, an artist's hands, it's completely and utterly up for interpretation, right? Like 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 kids, I you know, you you try to talk to fourteen year olds about poetry at all, and they're looking for the right answer sometimes still, you know, because you just come from math class and there's right answers, and of course there's no right answers in poetry. You have you get a feeling from poetry that is one hundred percent just as valid as any intention the author had, and I think the same um, with stuff like this. So so do I want to keep that general metaphor open? Absolutely, because if you can look at Jane or you can look at one of the characters in this book and you can relate to that and you say oh that's just like me or i've had those same thoughts when i had to you know hide or when i had to pretend um fantastic but there's also direct representation here too right which i think is really important as well because sometimes just being able to look at somebody on a page and say um without even reading a line and go that person looks like me that person acts like me um, that person is is saying something out loud in a situation that's the exact same way that I would have said it. I think that's important too. So something something subtle, something open, and then something more direct. Yeah, that's the representation as you talk about is like, invaluable, and I, I do think it's it's an interesting, important point that always gets brought up in, in some of these conversations about the different types of representation, uh, as you like wrote down whether that's 
like more like direct or more subtle or and and then the different opinions people can have on that representation which, which is a whole like so like so like maybe as a student and as a teacher i think my least favorite kind of writing is is when something is crowbarred in even if it's even if its intentions are pure and wonderful we had okay here's my example um when i taught elementary school when i taught the little kids for years we had this program and it was like a it was like a character building program that the school bought into and blah 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 and you had to jump through all these hoops to be qualified and get your certificate and whatever and and, and it was done by this company and they had their they had their materials that 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 came with it and your posters that you put up in the room and their slogans and their lingo and whatever and there was this book that you were supposed to read to the kids every year that kind of talked about each of the steps and it was in a storybook format and it was clearly written by the head of the company who has these great ideas, believes in them, but is not a writer. And so what you get is that story with the cute fuzzy animals. Hey, this is a delivery system for young kids. And and these are the messages we want to get across. And they are so unnaturally crowbarred in. So you get like a page, you get a story where you know, if the trait is, uh, I'm trying not to, I'm trying not to say the proper nouns out loud, but the traits were, uh, you know, um, first things first, uh, think win-win, being proactive, but traits like this, okay, valuable stuff. But like, you have this, this, this scene in the the book where like the one, you know, the little beaver character comes up, the little squirrel character and goes, gosh, aren't I being proactive right now? Don't you think I'm thinking win-win? Isn't this wonderful how we are synergizing right now? And it's clunky and even like eight-year-olds are going, this sucks. Yeah. And like when, when the eight-year-old can't even be fooled by the fuzzy animal and the cute situation, you're like, what are, what are we doing here? So so something that I don't like, you know, bring it around is like is when you crowbar diversity into the story. And the, the one of the things that I'm so proud about about this is I didn't have to do that at all because look, um, Maybe we mentioned this before. If I truly believe in my writing that if I'm going to ask an audience to suspend their disbelief for anything, right, in parallel for, you know, parallel version of you reaching out, um, in this for a young kid coming of age that can do things that other people can't. Um, if I'm going to ask you to suspend your disbelief, even for a second, the rest of it better be locked down. And you're not batting an eye, no matter what an expert you are, right? Like, like all the medical stuff in parallel. I was, I, I didn't, I didn't go. Well, I've watched some ER, some Grey's Anatomy. I can just throw some medical lingo in there. Nobody will notice. No way. Like, I called my cousin, the doctor, and made sure every single line was exactly right for that situation, right? Like, I sourced it out to professionals. And the same thing here. Like, the historical research on this book is exhaustive. All right, when you see. When you see an icebox in the back of Jane's family's kitchen, like that icebox is a 1936 model, not only because I'm not putting anything in there past, you know, when you would see it, but also, guess what? This family is not rolling in dough. They're not going to have a 1946 refrigerator. They're going to have a 1936 icebox. Like that phone, nobody is going to get to call me out and say that phone didn't come out until absolutely not. Okay. And the same thing for the diversity in this book. Um, Like I mentioned before, the goal is to get this part of the story out in the world, get people hooked, get people excited about this so the bigger story can exist as well. And the bigger story 
broadens and it widens a little bit. And like when you see a character that looks different and is sized different and is colored different and is just a, it's because that's what was going on in this part of the world at this time. Um, when race comes into it in the bigger book, it's because in the town south of where this story takes place, the U.S. government had set up a place called Canton Commons, which was one of the first uh, government subsidized housing projects in southeastern Michigan. So great mig- the Great Migration, African-Americans coming up from the south, uh, had places to live as they were trying to fill out those factory jobs in that uh, industrial uh, build up to World War II. And so like everybody you see in this story, you, when when you see the Rosies and Riveters getting sent home after the war because the boys came home, when you see that African-American community not being invited back into the factories once they bled and died for the country, like all of that diversity, all of those people, it, it, it's not the, hey, let's let's diversify our cast because that's the right thing to do. Let's diversify our cast because that's exactly what was going on at this point in history. And the tension is real and uh, the, the struggles are real because it's what happened. So so in that respect, I really, really am excited about it because I don't have to play that um, that game. You know what I mean? It's like it's like this is the truth. This is how things were. And I'm going to show that. Yeah, I just love the amount of detail and, and thoughts that you've like clearly and even explicitly talked about that you've put into this because I think hopefully in general like, it, it does always show when a creative team and, and the writer, the artist, etc., is like passionate about the work and actually has well, that. I mean, dude, I, I'm telling you, if I if I yeah. gave you if I gave you access, if I gave you a peek at the um at the research file of our of our you know entire creative teams uh google drive it would make your head spin there's just i spent so much time i mean okay yes google images and 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 and, you know a lot of time in front of a computer making sure that every little detail is accurate and period accurate yes 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 but like there are there's hundreds of photos and uh, a couple hours of footage because so like wall wire that I mentioned before, where a lot of this takes place and, um, you know, a real historical place that had a war contract and my great grandfather actually worked in, uh, my grandfather before he died, um, he and I actually, <laughs> we got a tour of the factory. Check this out the week, the week before they tore it down and partitioned it for office space. And so the whole thing had been stripped down to like those original fixtures and walls and all the stuff had been taken out of there. And all that was left was basically exactly the way it looked like in the 1940s. And so I've got footage and I've got photos and like, when when that bigger book hits the world, well, actually, no, there's a bunch of scenes in in even in the one shot that you'll be able to see. Like when you see them walking down the factory floor and you see where the welding kits are and you see where that time clock is, or that punch clock is and you see the, the conveyor belts where the Mars mats are going down to go to the train depot at the back of the place. That's not. That's not an imagination of me. That's not an imagination of Annie. That is literally going to be a detail for detail the way that actual historical place was. Yeah, that's really cool. So with regards to the actual Kickstarter itself, mm-hmm. I, I always like and find it interesting talking about or asking about the, the creation of the actual like graphics that went into like behind the actual component because uh, a lot of it, especially with, with a Kickstarter, isn't just like making the actual comic book. You've got to that that page that campaign you see when you click on the 
Yeah. Kickstarter. It, it just doesn't come from nowhere. That's right. They, they might, I also feel like it might, must take a while to like build all of that up and write all of it's, like all the stuff. It's its own. It's its own side parallel creative project. Totally. And and oh man, another one of those instances where like I know last time we talked about how how every step along this journey so far has been like, you know, my first time doing it. And here I am, you know, middle aged, like behaving like a 12 year old fan at, at most of the steps along the way, because every single thing that I'm doing along this journey is like usually the first time I've done it. And, you know, I remember at, at the very early stages of like Jane being a thing at all, I was like, okay. And I remember having this sigh of relief and saying like, all right, I know how to do so many of these things now. I'm not worried about, you know, uh, a year, two years in the future when I got when I got to go to a con, when I got to go to a sign. Like, I know how to do that. Okay. I know how to segment my time and sit down and, and write this and turn this into a real thing. And then when we got around and it got closer and closer and it, it turned out, hey, you're going to have to do this the way everybody does this. And that's 21st century distribution, 21st century funding. This has got to be a Kickstarter first before it's anything else. And I was like, oh no, I don't know how to do that. And like, and so like this, this process of like getting on there and, and finding how immersive it is. Okay. Okay. Here you go. It is, it is, you brought it up and, and you said it pretty well, but like, I think one of the biggest lessons I learned back from the parallel days was how much time, blood, sweat, and tears goes into producing just a comic that your general reader doesn't necessarily see when they sit down to read it, right? Um, you sit down and like your, your monthly floppy takes you however long it takes you to read it and then you're moving on to the next thing. And yet there were months, if not years of effort and a dozens of people involved in the construction of that. And, and that gave me this huge appreciation for the kind of effort and has changed my own reading habits. Right. And the same thing goes for the Kickstarter. Like you look at a campaign page and you're like, Oh, you know, and you're looking at the tiers of support and you're looking at, at, uh, Oh, that's a cool cover or, Oh my God, that's limited time. And I got to snatch that up right now. Or, Oh, look at that opportunity or, Ooh, this one's got, this one's got the, uh, the, 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 the breakdown of where every single dollar goes and this one doesn't. And like, you're, you're looking at all that stuff, but what you don't necessarily see is again, how many people were involved in putting this thing together? How many, you know, weeks or months it took to make it just right. And holy cow, is it a lot of work, man? I am telling you, um, part of my part of my fear about this going really well is like it's another thing that I have poured my heart into, I've poured my effort into. You know what I mean? It's not. You're right. You, you said it so much more succinctly than I am. Um, yeah, it, it's it's a world of energy for the book, and it's this whole another world of energy just to present the book in a Kickstarter form, for sure. Yeah. One, I mean, thing, one, of, the, one of the things that I thought was really important, and, and hopefully people appreciate it if they go over and look at the page, is uh, I really want I really wanted this to be 100% transparent. So like when you scroll hmm. down the story page, and you, you know, you see, um, you see all our cool covers by our, our ridiculous 
ridiculously talented uh, cover artist. Hopefully we'll talk about that in a minute. But like the fact that uh, Malia Ewart and uh, the great Cena Grace did covers for me is just, I can't even get over that. Um, but you get past the covers, you get past the sample pages, you, you, you meet the creative team stuff. You go down towards the bottom and we've got this whole, um, uh, this whole transparency section where we did like your pie chart breakdown where every single dollar of this um, gets accounted for, right? There is no, there's no slush fund built into my Kickstarter. In fact, not a penny of this goes to me. Um, if we hit our goal, every single dollar of that goal goes to, and you can see this on the chart, it goes to uh, the artists and editors and letters and uh, the cover artists and um, printing the book and uh, fulfillment. Now, I don't get a penny out of it. And in fact, my, my, the thing that I'm, I'm really excited about is that if this becomes really successful and we, we start hitting those really cool stretch goals that I've got down there that you can look at too, not a penny of that goes to me either. Every single dollar we go over our goal is then deferring the cost of the 120-page graphic novel to come next um, to make that a much more manageable campaign than it would have been had we just hit our goal. So this is not about financial gain for me. And that's not to take away anybody who, who uses Kickstarter for that. I mean, I know some of the people, like, this is how they make their living. You know, I've got my day job convincing 180 teenagers every single day that grammar is in I've I've got that. This is, this is passion. This is family. This is uh, getting... Um, uh, other creative people who deserve to be rewarded for that, um, their piece, and then hopefully pushing it forward and getting an even larger story out into the world. Yeah. One, one thing that I was wondering about, you've talked a bit about like future projects and things. And in the like synopsis for Jen American, it, and as you sort of mentioned already, it says it's a one-shot but then there's also a cliffhanger. So have you got plans for like more like Jenny American story after this or more at least? Like, yeah, I mean, that, that, that's the goal. That is the goal. Yeah. You read this, you get hooked. And basically, not only do you get this, you get this wonderful self-contained story out there, but you get the introduction to the world. Like, like I said, the goal is for the 120 page graphic novel that comes after this. Uh, right. in that too so like like jane's story like this you can read this and you're going to be you're going to be satisfied in the story you're also going to be hungry for more that's the goal like that balance of hey wait a minute this feels fractional absolutely not but hey wait a minute i'm done absolutely not you're going to want more at the end of this because of the reveal uh that the that the last panel does um and then and then the big book is is her entire story and uh so that's what will that's what the uh, in a perfect world, in a world where people go to Kickstarter and support this campaign, go to Kickstarter and support, you know, indie creators getting cool stories out in the world. That's the end goal. Yeah. Well, hopefully that comes to fruition then, but don't you like? Do you want to talk a bit about some of the rewards that you've got planned more more specifically? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, if you go over there and, it, and it's pretty, you know, it's pretty standard, it's pretty uh, easily yeah. navigable, um, but, um, you know, you've got, you've got that magical tier <laughs> that Kickstarter puts in every campaign that almost nobody contributes to, but Kickstarter insists on putting it in there. Cause every once in a while, I guess the good Samaritan will just like show up. Um, but it, it always starts with it, like defaults at the top. If you've ever been on Kickstarter before with that, um, contribute to this project because you believe in it and you don't actually want anything from it. Right. Like, like the literal 
ultimate greater good tier, which is just like, hey, uh, here's some money because I'm a nice person. Um, and of course, it starts with that. And then we've got our we've got our our our, our five dollar uh, donation level, which gets you you know the story at a PDF level. It'll play on all devices, and we'll send you the exclusive covers as well, so you get to look at those pretty covers by our amazing artists. And then um, we've got these varying levels of support with different covers and and the add-ons if you want that second if you want that reader copy versus the uh versus the one to slab away um and then i i think what i'm really really excited to talk about is is the different covers that we've got so as i mentioned uh malia's doing malia fresh off her stint as a dreamworks animator and now back at source point huh. working with garrett gunn uh doing good boy covers and doing their own first book together she did this gorgeous, it's like half Norman Rockwell, um, half modern. It's just this gorgeous kind of Rosie the Riveter inspired cover with Jane and her mom on it. And so that's your first Kickstarter exclusive. You can't get it anywhere else. And just to fancy it up a little bit, because as we've mentioned, I am a 1990s comic book nerd. Um, there is going to be a Chromium version of that, like throwing back Ooh. to those wonderful uh, Valiant covers of the early 90s that I can't get enough of. Um, and there's going to be a very limited, and this is time sensitive too, so depending on when this goes up, there may only be a couple days left of, uh, of a textless variant that is just gorgeous with her colors and, and and her textures on that book and then we've got um the cena grace cover you know cena grace you know him because he got his start as kirkman's editor on the walking dead and basically ran skybound for a couple of years and then you know him from the indie world of not my bag and uh, burn the orphanage and um um, little depressed boy, but you also probably know him because he's done a lot of X-Men work and he uh, wrote 18 issues of Iceman and he's got his new Superman book coming out right now. And he drew me a cover that is, Ooh, God, man, it looked vintage when he drew it for me. And it's got some, it's got some Tintin homage going on to it with the circle in the background and the running in the foreground. Um, but what Dave Lentz did is he actually put it through this vintage process. So it looks like uh, think um, those uh, Black Hammer 45 covers that uh, that uh, Lemire did uh, for his uh, his World War II Black, Black Hammer book. And so you can see the spine ticks on it. You can see the folds. You can see the staining. So it looks really old. And then hold up, hold on to your seats. I am putting uh, Garrett Gunn of Sourcepoint and of Good Boy fame has named it the Granddad's Attic variant because not only does it look old, but we are putting it through this printing process called the soft touch laminate. And if that doesn't mean anything to you, join the club. But I got to feel one of these. <laughs> and it feels bizarrely because it doesn't necessarily look different, but it feels like suede. And it literally makes your book not only look, but feel like it's been in the attic since 1945. It is mind bending. If I could bottle old comic smell, I think I'd make a million dollars because it is like you, you support at this level and you get this cover that it looks like the, the, the story is from the 1940s. It looks like your book came from the 1940s. It's amazing. And then we've got, you know, certain bundle packs where you get all the fancy covers. I've got a retailer pack that um, can guarantee to uh, double your profit. Cause I think that's important. And then, okay. I got to tell you about this last tier. This is, it, it's it's the most expensive one, but like if this is interests you, this is totally worth it. So I made sure that you got all the covers, right? And then basically if you support us at this, this last level, uh, you get your name and your likeness 
in the 120-page graphic novel to follow. You will be a character. Nice. Um, I warn it, and, and we'll be in contact afterwards, and I'll get a photo of you at the age that I'm going to make your character, and it'll be named after you. But I warn this, and I know this is a selling point positive for a lot of people, but like right there in the text, you got to read it carefully. It says, you know, fair warning, and I know this will be a positive for many, but fair warning, uh, if you support this level, it's a 99% chance that your name and likeness will be used as a antagonist slash outright villain. You will not be a very nice person in this book. And I know there's a lot of people like that are literally doing the uh, Simpsons, Monty Burns, like finger uh, thing right now saying, you know, excellent. I want to be the villain, but uh, that is fair warning. You are not going to be a good guy. <laughs> yeah. I, I think, I think it's interesting that the slight disclaimer there. It's like, Oh God, I get to be in the book. Cause it's like, Oh, but you're a villain. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> so yeah, I'm really excited about it. Um, we've got, Oh, Oh, okay. So I've got an add-on. It comes automatically with the retailer pack um, for retailers to give away as an incentive. But I've got this add-on. It's very affordable. You can tack it on to any any book for just a couple of bucks. So uh, Dave Lentz and I basically uh, recreated a vintage-looking, very period-style, authentic uh, Western Union telegram um, that's going to recreate the letter of condolence that shows up at, uh, at the Johnson household to... Um, Oh, to let the family know that dad's not coming home, you know, that, that very famous scene, you'll, you'll see it. You can see it on the, uh, on the preview pages on the Kickstarter of, you know, you've seen it in movies, right. Where the officers show up at the door and deliver the telegram and the bad news is there. And that's definitely a triggering event for, for Jane as our character. But like, um, I did a lot of research and, and found some actual examples online and we kind of recreated that telegram, uh, in shape and size and, texture and tone and that's a, a, a cool little add-on that we've got as well yeah it's always cool to have the amount of like rewards and just this is like a nice like variety like keeping the the, the basic things but also like the comic itself but also having a few like extra things to hopefully like appeal to people then just to make it more like unique in in some ways yeah unique for the absolutely campaign. absolutely i don't think i have any more questions I don't know if there's anything else that you want to talk about or mention before we wrap up. Well, I mean, I, honestly, I, I, I all probably the same message I, I ended with the last time we talked. Like, mm. um, I, I really think it's important to support indie comics. Mm. And that's not me necessarily. I mean, certainly it's me talking about myself and my own campaign here and what it means to me. But much more generally, much more broadly, it, it's a statement about, about supporting things that you love and understanding that as much as I love Marvel in DC and image and dark horse below them, um, that's just the tip of the iceberg. And the vast majority, if not close to 90% of the comic industry are small press and people doing it themselves. And it makes up the bulk of these stories that we all love and they are much closer to hand to mouth than, like I said before, you know, 80 plus years of infrastructure, right? Um, individual creators or, you know, small press outlets, they're not owned by corporate international giants, right? There is no fallback. It either uh, a career can succeed or fail based on one Kickstarter campaign, right? Uh, uh, one book here or there. And like, if you value having that variety, 
that choice as a consumer in the marketplace, that ability to see and hear and enjoy such a wide variety of stories, I think it's like um, it, it's you know, civic duty is a bit extreme. You know, this isn't exactly voting, but it's it, it's a pretty decent analogy of like get out there and support the books that you like. Go out there and support the creators that you like because every dollar that you spend on an indie um, goes really far. It, it means the world. I mean, it's it's not just keeping it afloat financially or making it even like the 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 death of it, the existence of it. It's like it's like a vote of support in a way that is very personal and um and and really does the heart of indie creators good for sure. So support your indies, whether that's mine or somebody else's. Um, we appreciate you and and we definitely need you. Yeah, absolutely. It's vitally important, especially, yeah, yeah, it's just go support the the Kickstarter. The link will be in, I mean, in the show notes so you can just search Jane American on Kickstarter. And yeah, I mean, I mean, look, 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 like even like if you're if you're listening, if you're listening across the pond, right? I keep on saying that. Like it's, I can't, I'm talking like it's ni- the 1940s for God's sake. Anyway, if you're supporting across the pond, um, you know, and and it's like and like shipping is shipping is a non-starter, right? For something that size. Well, you know what? Even that five dollar PDF, you get a cool story, and you're like, don't don't be reverse intimidated by the fact that like, oh my god, if I don't support at the highest tier and get my name in the next book, this isn't. I'm not making a difference. I'm not making a dent. You know what? Every little bit makes a difference. And in the end, like if that's what you can afford, if that's what you're comfortable with, if that's something, you know, that's wonderful. I appreciate you just as much as I appreciate anybody else. In fact, I, I highly encourage that. I mean, that's the way comics are going anyway. So so go grab a PDF and I'll send you my story and and then reach out to me on, on Instagram and tell me what you thought because I'm going to interact with you, right? And um, it, that'll mean the world. Yeah. And on Instagram at J Douglas writes. Is that yeah? You can't that, miss yeah, me. You correct. can't miss me on Instagram. You start typing that in, and there is a a wonderfully uh, unique and obnoxious picture of me in a in a hospital robe, uh, hold, uh, flexing like a superhero, holding an IV the day after my uh, cancer surgery. So um, you're going to be able to spot me on there. <laughs> yeah, and then just uh, I think just to wrap up, it, it's been great talking to you. Again, I'm really glad we got to do this again. It's been great fun. I enjoyed it. I hope you have us as well. Oh, my pleasure. Always. I, I really, really love talking to you. So thank you so much for the time. I appreciate it. Yeah, of course. And I just hope people can go out and and support this like, amazing Kickstarter and just such an amazing person. I just, yeah, I'm wishing you all the best with everything. Thank you so much. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Unfortunately, that's all we've got time for on this episode. I want to thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate and review the show five stars wherever you're listening. I would really appreciate it. If you want to keep up to date on new episodes, please subscribe. And if you have any questions, comments or suggestions, you can email the show at joetalkscomics at gmr.com. You can find the podcast on Twitter at joetalkscomics. And finally, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at joelovescomics where we can continue talking comments. That's all for now, and I hope to see you next time. Bye!